May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. There is a wonderful movie, The Princess Bride, a sort of romantic and funny fairy tale that you should see if you have not seen it yet. It's old. It tells the tale of a young woman, Buttercup, and her beloved Wesley. Wesley goes to seek his fortune so that he can marry Buttercup, but is captured by the dread pirate Roberts. Years later, Wesley returns, but in disguise as the said pirate, only to discover that Buttercup has been kidnapped by a gang that includes the gentle giant Fezzik, a washed-up Spanish fencer named Inigo Montoya, and the brilliant Vizzini. Soon, Wesley, still disguised, pursues the kidnappers, and Vizzini lays trap after brilliant trap, certain that his intelligence will foil this masked man who seems invincible. Each time Wesley evades one of Vizzini's traps, he exclaims, inconceivable! Vizzini tries to shake their pursuer by scaling a she the sheer face of the cliffs of insanity, only to reach the top, look back, and realize that the dread pirates were climbing up the rope that they had just used. Vizzini orders the rope cut, yet Wesley does not fall. Vizzini yells in frustration, he didn't fall? Inconceivable. Finally, Inigo Montoya, in his wonderfully comic Spanish accent says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. I do not think it means what you think it means. How often are we in that same situation? We thought something would be a certain way. We imagined it, and then it turns out not to mean what we think it means. Think about your work. Did you know what it would mean to be a teacher, a nurse, a doctor, a lawyer, an IT specialist, to work for a school or a corporation or the military? Think about your roles in life. Did you really know what it meant to be a parent, a spouse, a friend, a mentor, until you faced the difficulties involved? You know, there's been a lot of research lately about American Christianity as we anxiously watch the decline in the church, and lots of research about what people think about God. Over a decade ago, researchers studied the religious attitudes of teens, our millennial generation. The results showed that most of the teens, 
did not hold so much Christian views or theology, but were what the researchers termed moral therapeutic deists. I'll say that again, moral therapeutic deists. In the words of the researchers, treating God like a combination of divine butler and cosmic therapist. He's always on call. He takes care of any problems that arise, helps us feel better about ourselves, and does not become too personally involved. In other words, they had defined God as the being who had created things, wants them to be nice and fair in their lives, wants them to feel good about the choices they're making, but is only involved when they need something. And frankly, that way of thinking about God extends way beyond the millennial generation. Let's be honest. So God, I do not think it means what you think it means. You see, how we define our terms matters, which Peter finds out in today's reading from Mark. Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? Peter gets it right on the first try. You are the Messiah. Then Jesus begins to teach about the Messiah, that he must suffer, be rejected, be killed, and then rise after three days. And Peter's response, inconceivable. After all, the Messiah was meant to vindicate Israel, vanquish enemies, rule in glory. And then Jesus doubles down and describes to the crowd and to his disciples what it means to follow him. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it. And if you lose your life for the sake of Jesus and for the gospel, you'll save it. Inconceivable. Inconceivable. Knowing who Jesus is, who God is, really, really matters. For how can we follow unless we know whom we follow? So who do you say Jesus is? Friend? teacher, moral example, rebel for justice, sage, savior. When you say who Jesus is, who God is, what does that mean to you? What do you expect from God?
Jesus is, of course, teacher, friend, example, rebel for justice, savior, messiah, and more. God is holy, parent, mother, father, just, righteous, love. But what if those words don't mean what we think they mean? What if they all point to something different than what we thought, what we want? What if Jesus, God, is more complicated, more nuanced, more interesting, more frightening, more wonderful, more mysterious than any of us think? What if loving parent doesn't mean that God's going to swoop down and fix all the problems in your life? What if Jesus is your friend, but you know that friend who doesn't just comfort you, but tells you the truth about when you're messing up? What if Jesus is a rebel who wants us to work for justice in our society, but also wants us to be humble and to love, not tolerate, love that one person who makes us crazy? What if God is love, but that love means not that everything works out all right, but that we are loved even in the mess of our lives? What if Jesus is the Messiah, but he's not going to rule in victory? He's going to empty himself out become completely vulnerable, so transparent, so that we might see the love of God shining through him. A Messiah who suffers willingly, not because suffering is wonderful in and of itself, but because suffering is the natural consequence of the way he lived, ignoring the social and religious norms, hanging out with the unclean and the ostracized and the sinful. What if Jesus turns out to be less? and way, way more than what any of our terms, our ideas can capture? What if we, like Peter, get the title right but the meaning wrong? Will we, like Peter, rebuke him? Will we, like so many of the crowds, turn away? When God doesn't act the way we think God ought to act, when Jesus asks more of us than we feel able to give, well, what then? You see, we're used to this story. We're used to Peter getting it wrong. We know that Jesus is the Messiah. After all, we read the Gospel of Mark. It tells us that on the first page. But can we hear the truth of what that means? That Jesus, Messiah, isn't the one who came to make our lives flawless, but came to join us in the muck and the mire of our real and messy lives. Not wave a magic wand to make problems disappear, but to join us in 
other words, Jesus is exactly where we might least expect him to be, not reigning in glory, but in our pain, our suffering, when we screw up, when we're lost, just when we think we don't know where God is. The Messiah must suffer and die, must join us in our lot, for how can he heal us if he hasn't shared our illness? How can he bring joy if he has not shared our sorrow? Can we understand, can we understand that it's not moral therapeutic deism? God is not a divine butler or cosmic therapist. Understand that Jesus didn't come to give us a new, improved version of the life we already have, but an abundant life of joy that is found not in more things, not in the stuff that the world would give us, but the life of joy that comes from denying, forgetting ourselves, from giving ourselves away, giving love away, giving hope giving compassion away more and more until we find that by giving all away, everything, we've gained our lives. Peter wanted Jesus to fit into his definition of Messiah but God had very different, weirder, harder, more wonderful plans. Messiah did not mean what Peter thought it meant. What about us? Can we give up telling God how to be? Can we give up telling God who we're supposed to be? And instead let God let Jesus be weirder and harder, more wonderful than anything we could imagine. Is that conceivable? <laughs>